Deliverability is not just an off and on switch. I like to think of it more as kind of like the, the dashboard of a plane where there's just lots of different little dials and things that you can kind of tweak to, to, to fly better. So it really is that. So I think it's just, you know, just keep, know that you're going to have to keep improving. You can't just kind of just stick with what works and, and go with that for the next couple of years. It's probably not going to continue to work for long. Today in Inboxing, Lauren Meyer, EVP of Product Marketing and Brand Strategy for Socket Lab. And we're live. Welcome to another episode of Inboxing. Inboxing is the podcast all about email. And today we have a very special guest, Lauren Meyer from Kickbox. That's where she is now, but she's got a long history in email. I'll let her talk about it a little bit uh, in just a second. Here we, anyways, without any further ado, here's Lauren Meyer. Welcome, Lauren. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm good. Thank God. Thank God. Things are good. How are things over there on the other side of the world? They are doing great. Yeah, it's nice and sunny here in California, so I, I really can't complain too much. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. It's raining here today in Israel, which is a good thing because it, okay. it only rains in the winter and it doesn't rain. We're in big trouble. <laughs> yeah, we had a good November, December, but it's been really, it's just been gorgeous. It's been like spring-like for the last like three weeks, which is good, but uh, we need more rain. So uh, it's good to see it raining again and it's supposed to be more winter-like for the next two weeks at least. So uh, we like. Yeah, it's good. Changing in weather is definitely a good thing. I know in LA, there's no real seasons from what I understand. So. You know, there are. There's a little bit of a season. So right now it's mm-hmm. you know, January. And so the plants have actually, like, you know, a lot of the flowers that kind of bloom in the spring and are, are around for the summer have kind of died off. So there is a little bit okay. of like a really vibrant and colorful spring that comes in a couple of months. So for now, it's okay. well, pretty warm, though. So it's 73 degrees here in uh, Fahrenheit land. So <laughs> not that. Right. Yeah. Okay. And the summer, though, it doesn't get like boiling, though, right? Like in the summer, no, it it's also doesn't. like, no. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. Just <laughs> I'm about like an hour and a half north of LA. So it's kind of just this sleepy town up in Ventura, California. And so I think, you know, a heat wave here is about 85 degrees, which is really kind just of fine. <laughs> yeah, so I can't, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. All right. All right. So let's get started. All right. So got a new feature here. Yeah. What got you into email marketing? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I guess, you know, honestly, <laughs> I kind of fell into email marketing a lot like other people in the industry have. You know, I, I just, I was working for a company that was selling mutual funds and they were trying to get me to study for my series seven license. And I just kept falling asleep in my books. And so I realized it was time to move into a different industry. So I kind of just went looking for for things that were interesting to me and things that I thought that I was capable of doing. And yeah, kind of landed in an affiliate marketer company. I was um, a QC specialist, a quality control specialist for the first couple of years, and but really kind of learned a lot as I as I grew through the different, the different careers. And I think what's really kept me in email is, is truly the fact that, you know, the industry is just constantly advancing and evolving and changing, you know, and, and things that were once kind of seen as, as maybe importance are now considered like industry best practice, right? So it's something that where things change, things evolve. So there's always something new to learn. There's, you know, someone new to share that knowledge with. And, and I think that's what I find the most exciting about email. So that's why I'm sticking with it. All right. All right. Thank you for that. That was, that was great. All right. What do you see in your inbox that really, you know, it's like, oh, I can't believe it. Nice. Yeah, I like when we're starting with the bad news first. That's usually how I like to play it. So this is cool. Um, yeah. So you know, I think there's a couple of things that really kind of set me when I when I see things in my inbox. The first I would say is is when people are using like deceptive tactics to sort of enforce engagement. So things like when you have that like little re for for reply 
or the forward within a subject line. So, you know, this, this really kind of just makes me wonder, like, am I responding to emails in my sleep? Like, when did I have that, that communication? <laughs> so, you know, by the time I actually open that message, which only takes a few seconds, my brain has gone in 15 different directions and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. So by the time I actually open it and realize that it's just sort of like a sales promotion or, or somebody following up with me, you know, chances are I'm probably just going to mark that message as spam because I'm just so frustrated with the fact that it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, right? So I think that that, that deceptive sort of subject line is, is really, really something I don't like. Sort of along the same vein of, of like cold emails in general, I really dislike those, but I understand that those are a big part of, of certain people's brands. So I think for me, it's, it's particularly when people send that cold email, it doesn't really land, I don't open, I don't respond to it. And then they kind of just keep, you know, sort of bumping it to the top of my inbox, without any additional context that kind of helps me be interested in that offer. So it's kind of like, you know, if if the first time didn't land well, and I didn't respond, why do you think that just simply putting it in front of me is going to do something different? It doesn't. In fact, if anything, it just makes me a little angrier and a little bit more likely to mark that message as spam, which of course, when you're in, in a cold email business, you already have enough people marking you with spam, enough issues with deliverability. So I think that's one of those, like if you're going to do that cold email, really find a way to you know make that email about me, about what you can do for me, how you have a solution that's going to help make my day easier, not just get me to write you some crazy, <laughs> angry response or, or forward that to your abuse. Mm-hmm. That's really not, not your goal, I'm sure. And I think that along the same lines as, of, of all of that is, again, things that sort of just, you know, kind of make me want to, to mark something as spam is like brands that are driving that fake urgency to motivate me to engage, right? So an example of this might be like a retail brand who is constantly warning me that, you know, the sale is ending and this is my last chance to get that discount. But like, they've already trained me to know that that sale is going to be either extended because it always is, or perhaps this one ends, but then there's another 20% discount that's coming tomorrow or next week or something like that, right? So I think all of those these tactics, all of them sort of give you this, this kind of small lift and open rates and, and maybe you have a couple of extra sales coming in at first, but recipients are quickly gonna like lose interest in that or that, that like kind of like, you know, really quick tactic that you're doing isn't gonna work. And, you know, in the end, deliverability is going to suffer. And so is that brand loyalty that you're, you're building or trying to build with, with those email recipients. So those are the things that I really hate. <laughs> right. It's like a joke. Like, you know, growing up, we always saw like, you know, it was a retailer. I won't say the name, but it was just like, it seemed like every day was a one day sale. <laughs> it's one day, one day, one day sale. I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's our brands. What's interesting about that tactic as well, you know, I feel like I've heard, I've read articles about this where people are kind of like, you know, if, if you're constantly teaching people that stuff is going to be on sale, what's their incentive to actually ever buy something at the full retail value? In fact, you, may, you might be teaching them that your product is less valuable than you say it is and that it's always going to be on sale. And so they kind of discount how much they find interest in your brand or they're just like, well, I know that that thing is always 50 bucks, but if I wait, it's actually going to be 25 99 right? So right. yeah, that's, you really need to figure out what your long-term play is. Like, yes, you get some quick wins with those quick sales, but that long-term strategy is, is really not going to sustain. Right. That's a really good point. All right. In your life as an email marketer, what was your biggest mistake? Oh, my biggest mistake. Well, I have to say that you know I haven't actually been the one who's like kind of hitting send for, for a couple oh. of years. So my 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 role typically now is is more kind of to, to consult with customers who are having deliverability issues. So I think the biggest mistake that I see on that side, so it's not less, you know, it's not really like, oh, I've got typos or I forgot to hit, you know, to test a campaign. It's more when I'm kind of firing off recommendations for fixing their issue before I've gathered enough facts to really understand what might be driving that issue. So, you know, when it comes to deliverability, you typically need to ask a lot of questions about their email program first, right? So you need to understand the scope of the issue. Is it something that just started? Is it something that's kind of been trending downwards over time? 
you know, how did you find this issue, right? Is this something that, that you had a customer complain? Is this where like a big portion of your list is actually getting blocked by a certain provider? So it, it really depends on kind of what that scope is and sort of what might've been the trigger. Did you change anything within your email program, um, your segmentation? Did you introduce a new list or a new type of list collection or something like that? So, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, when you're shooting from the hip with your recommendations, that kind of leads to, to clients that are taking actions that maybe are costing them money and resources and taking a lot of time for them to implement. Maybe they even have to get buy-in from their executive team to, to even take that chance. So if you're wrong, those recommendations really, they waste their time and figure they're facing a deliverability issue. So there's a lot of stress involved in, in that time waste that you're, that you're dealing with there. You know, but they're also, you're hurting your own credibility. So if you're making, if you're sticking with them and you're going to be their consultant in the long run, you know, let, let's hope you still have a job after this all kind of settled, mm-hmm. uh, right? You know, because especially mm-hmm. if you are a consultant, this is what you're making your money on. But you really need to kind of keep that that level of confidence with those customers very high. So my, you know, I really, I think my biggest mistake that I've learned from is to do your research first, ask those questions that you need to, if there's any diagnostic test that you need to run. So if you're saying, hey, can you, okay, you're saying you're going to the spam folder at Gmail. Can you send some of those messages to my Gmail test accounts and let's see where they land. Like basic tests like that. If you wait and then you're asking to do that a week or two into the process, people will lose their minds. <laughs> so um, you'll miss your chance to do that. And you've also kind of just wasted a lot of time. And again, that stress level is high. So you know, just be thoughtful in the recommendations that you're giving to clients. Yeah. And, and just always ask the questions first. Don't just be like, I think it's this, go try that. And, and mm-hmm. then if that's what like just stop right there. Right. So that's, that's really one thing I've learned through a lot of painful experiences. Is there like an internal checklist like, you know, marketers should be going through in terms of avoid becoming spam? Yeah, I mean, I think it really, you know, the best tip I can give for how you can kind of pair your deliverability with your email goals and avoid spam is really just to, like to think about your goals with email. Like, how are you building your list? Who are you adding to your list? And are they people that are actually going to want to engage with the emails that you're sending, the content that you're providing with your brand in general, right? Even if they're not opening those messages, again, back to that idea of like a retail client who is just sending me, you know, discount codes. Maybe I only shop at that store once per year. And so I'm not opening and clicking your mail, but I still see your from address in my subject, you know, in in my inbox. And so there's that brand presence. There's that, that, that thought of keeping people in mind. So I think it's it really is just important to, to pair your goals with email with the metrics that you're tracking. And, and yeah, really just focus in on not to say what's going well, right? Like a high open rate is great. Is that leading to whatever call to action or conversion that you're looking for? So if that's as basic as a purchase, if that's booking a meeting with your sales team, getting them to upgrade from a, a free account to a paid account, whatever that is, you know, consider that each step, right? First, you have to get the message into their inbox. Then you've got to get them to open that message. Then you have to get them to click the message and then when they land on your landing page or whatever that call to action is, they have to then take that step, whatever you're looking them to do. So I think it's it's seeing all of those things as one bigger picture, as opposed to just kind of focusing in on one key metric and thinking that that's what's going to lead to to ultimate success for your brand. Okay, all right, that's a that's a really good segue to your top five email marketing tips. Ooh, okay, all right. So, oh gosh, I have so many. I can only give five. Really, hello. Hey, you could give you could give six or so. I don't really care. Um, you know, I'm just kidding. I'm sure I can whittle it down. So, let's see. I think we'll start at the beginning of of well, what should be the beginning of your your relationship with your email audience, which is get permission before you're sending emails to people. So, again, I get that cold email is a reality, and people need to do that. But really try to find a way to bring them to your website, get them to download a white paper, get them to sign up for an event, um, whatever it is that lets them give you their email address or say, 
I'm okay with hearing from your, your brand via email because, you know, the inbox, my inbox is overrun with so many different messages. I sign up for everything because I love to see what people are doing, but the inbox is a very intimate place, right? Like you only have a finite amount of time in your day and you want to make sure that you're sending to people who actually are open to hearing from you as opposed to just trying to kind of grab everybody and then you end up with a lot of spam complaints. So getting permission is, is really the start. And that also gives you a chance to set expectations with your recipients. So tell them how often you're going to send to them or what kind of content they can expect from you. Things like that. I think it really goes a long way to, to setting yourself up for, for success. So that's my, my top tip. Data quality is a main, main driver for deliverability issues because it's not just about, is this a valid or an invalid address? It's about, is that person there for the right reasons? Are they going to ultimately engage with your brand, which helps deliverability and ultimately convert to, to making money for your business, which is, I think, probably everybody's goal at the end of the day, right? So um, yeah, so permission, 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 keep going. Second, what I would say is, is authenticate all of the email that you're sending. So this really helps so that the mailbox providers like Gmail and Hotmail that you're sending to as well as your email recipients can have greater confidence in the mail being legitimate. The fact that it's actually, you know, it's coming from you as you say it is, you know, authentication is is not something that's going to get you into the inbox on its own. It's just one step in the process, but it really does serve as that kind of like form of ID to say, I am a legitimate sender. I'm who I I say I am. So I would say, you know, focus on, you know, maybe SPF or DKIM first. and, And those are two, you know, two different types of authentication that are pretty standard at this point, but they really help protect you from your brand from being spoofed. So people pretending to be you, right? If you're PayPal, everybody's pretending to be PayPal to, to try to phishing scams. So lock yourself down. DKIM is more focused on making sure that the message content hasn't really changed in transit, right? So if I hit send, there's nobody that intercepted that message and maybe changed the links to be something malicious or added some content of their own that, that is kind of misleading or something. So DKIM is helpful for that. So those two are, are really standard. We actually did a a blog post on on my own uh, website, kickbox.com, where we were talking about authentication pretty deep. So you can go check that out if you're you're interested in learning more about how you can implement those those different forms. Third tip for you guys would be to follow your engagement metrics to understand what your audience likes, don't like as well, right? You want to look at both the positive engagement metrics like your opens and, and clicks, as well as the negative ones like spam complaints and unsubscribes, because figure you could have a really aggressive subject line that leads to a nice increase in open rates. But if people <laughs> then get to that message and they're like, wait, you said it was free, but it's free with purchase of $100. That's not free. That's going to lead to a negative reaction, even though there is that positive front end reaction, right? So right. It's really that, that bigger picture, because especially, you know, spam complaints are very, very damaging for your deliverability. So yeah, you know, open rates are great. But again, make sure that you're, you're connecting with people, you're, you're setting those expectations and, and really kind of following the metrics to really make sure that the thing that you think is going to work is actually what's what's working with your audience. Uh, there's number three. Let's see. Number four would be really, I guess, piggybacking off of those, those monitoring of your metrics is, is to use what you learn from that data to send more valued content, right? So really focus in on what your audience seems to like and what they don't like, right? So the ones that have the highest open rates, that's awesome. But also look for the campaigns that have the highest complaint rates or unsubscribe rates, things like that, because it really is, it is that full metric. You could also consider segmentation if you have multiple types of emails that you're sending, or maybe you have different customer profiles within your list, right? If you've got someone who's who's just buying stuff, if you've got someone who's interested in your thought leadership content, separate those mail streams and maybe say, we're going to send you a recap because we know that you like the sales stuff, but then we'll send you a, a once per week recap or once per month recap of that thought leadership as well. So you can still 
know that we're doing that, but but really kind of try to, to understand the ins and outs of, of your audience a little bit more. Um, and then I guess my last one on the back end, right, just as important as getting permission is making it really easy for people to get off the ride if they want to. So make that unsubscribe process really easy because if you don't, right, there's all these tactics where you can make that unsubscribe language really, really tiny so it's impossible to see. Or, you know, maybe you even use the same font color as your background. And so it's, it's kind of, it's there from a legal perspective, but it's hidden. All of these things basically just mean that messages are going to get marked as spam instead when someone wants to get off your list. And that is, again, much more damaging for deliverability, but it's also a lot easier to do in most cases because that spam button is right at the top of, of somebody's you know in, inbox, right? So really, yeah, just make that process as simple as possible and then use that information that you're getting. If you see that your unsubscribe rates are high, figure out why. What is it about someone who signed up for your brand that made them decide to jump ship really, really quickly. Like there's 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 something there that you can they can optimize. So those are my top tips, I guess. Those are really, really great. There's a few like follow-ups in well, one just in terms of the unsubscribe, there was something that I think Elliot Ross from uh, Action Rocket posted a few months ago, maybe. I don't know, time okay. is this corona time, so who knows when it was. <laughs> but um it was just like the worst unsubscribe page ever. It was so confusing. It was like, you're opting in and you're opting out. It was like, what are you opting? Like, it looked like opting out was really opting in. It was just, you know, totally confusing. And yeah. Like, yeah. Have you seen that? You know I what I'm talking have, about? Yeah. And I will say, actually, in that case, I mean, that's not just confusing. You might actually be stepping into what's like not legal because, first of all, the unsubscribe process needs to be just as easy as the sign up process. So, figure if you're just popping your email address mm-hmm. into something to sign up, you shouldn't have to log into an account or even type your own email address to unsubscribe. It should really be even simpler to get off the list. But but even still, you know, if, if people are confused about if it's a yes or a no, am I opting back in? Am I opting out? What am I doing? That actually could could get you in legal trouble one day. Yeah, no, definitely. And the other part of it I was wondering is what's like an acceptable amount of spam? Like everyone, you know, even good brands gets, you know, called spam sometimes. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, what's like acceptable and when does it become a problem? Yeah. So I think there's, there's kind of two definitions of sort of like, you know, what's acceptable in spam, right? So there's, there's messages that are just going to the spam folder, which are, that's, that's kind of very hard to, to sort of measure because um, we don't get feedback from the mailbox providers to say, Hey, you know, 50% mm-hmm. the inbox and 50% went to spam and here's what you should do about that. But yeah, when it comes to like spam complaint rates, consider that not every mailbox provider is giving you feedback. For example, Gmail does not tell you, you know, if Lauren at Kickbox goes and marks something as spam. Gmail doesn't tell me, tells, doesn't tell the sender specifically that I have marked that message as spam, right? They kind of give you these overall rates. But I would say you know, a, good, a, a good spam complaint rate tends to be about 0.02%, honestly, even 0.01%. I know that sounds just tiny. A lot of times with an ESP within their, their kind of acceptable use policy, they will mention one that's like a 0.1% or maybe like a 008 but figure just that's the rate that they're saying kind of restrict your sending. They're going to put you in the time mm-hmm. and say, right. You're bad. <laughs> that is not going to equate to, to inbox placement. Mailbox providers are really truly looking to, to keep those user complaints as low as possible, right? They want to make that experience within their inbox as awesome as possible for their users. And, and when people are marking a spam, that's such a clear indication that, that something didn't land the way that it should have. Right. So. Right. I'm sorry, I might be going a little in a different direction, but I'm just wondering in terms of, I mean, because you have this like sort of inside information, how do providers like, you know, like MailChimp of the world and all those, like, how do they like differentiate? Are they, are they sending emails off from the same, you know, um, SMTP or I say my P? Does each brand have an IP? 
It depends. Yeah. I mean, there there are certain, (laughs) there are certain senders, usually senders that have larger volumes of emails and maybe that send more frequently that are on dedicated IPs. And that's a great setup because once you, you know, the, the more you can kind of isolate your sending from all the other people in the world, the better, right? Mailbox providers love just having it be very clear to them who the sender is, what they're sending, whether their users like it or not, all that kind of good stuff, right? So the more you can kind of isolate that and just say, yep, it's me, I'm Lauren, I've got this one IP, this one domain, this is all mine, right? That is awesome, but there's a lot of other senders who don't send often enough. Maybe imagine a company who only sends quarterly statements or only sends once a month. Mailbox providers really need more frequency of sending to kind of create a sender reputation, to understand what your sender reputation is. Are you a good sender? Are you bad? Should you be trusted or not? Um, And so that's where I think the shared IP situation really comes into play, where you can have tens or hundreds of customers that are tiny, you know, sending tens of messages a day or or just sending very infrequently, being able to come together to kind of create that critical mass that leads to having a sender reputation. So that's where a lot of different ESPs will let customers kind of decide on their own, do you want shared or do you want dedicated? They'll provide guidance on what they think is the best fit for you. And then oftentimes they'll have multiple different kind of shared pools with their system that maybe are reserved for really good senders, other people. I think MailChimp actually will sort of prioritize. They have, they actually have like a, like a, a very highly engaged recipient pool of IPs that they use. So they kind of split up your list as you're sending and say, these recipients, we can see that they're, they're engaging quite often. So we send them from our best IPs that have a really great reputation. The other mail that you're sending that's going to less engaged people tends to maybe go from different. So it really depends on the ESP as to kind of how they set that up and what that looks like based on, on their infrastructure. Um, honestly, there's there's lots of different options. But, but yeah, from a high level, I'd say it's either dedicated IP or, or a shared IP setup. Okay. And would that be a reason to, you know, to use like an SMTP, like SendGrid, you know, kind of setup? Like, you know, you get your own IP? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I think that's, you know, there's there's lots of different types of mail as well. Figure there's like the transactional side of mail, which is, you know, password resets and, and purchase confirmations and stuff that, you know, it, it's sort of triggered by an action taken by the recipient, right? So if I if request a password reset, I'm expecting to receive that mail in my inbox. So that stuff tends to be kind of separate from the marketing initiatives, which is, you know, the newsletters and more kind of sales-focused emails, typically ones that are not a one-to-one message like they are with transactional. It's more of a one-to-many type of setup with much, much higher volumes. And so I think it just, it really depends on what type of email you're sending, who you're sending to, how important it is, how many different mail streams you have. Like there's a lot to kind of consider as you're, as you're picking your provider and you're picking like what that, that setup looks like from an IP and a, and a domain perspective. Okay. All right. Thanks for that. Yeah. Okay. So what are the top, you know, pitfalls? You probably talk to people that have fallen into those pits. I have. Yeah, that's, that's, that's <laughs> where I live most of the time, actually. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I mentioned already data quality is really, really important when it comes to, to your email deliverability. So, and by data quality, again, I'm not just talking about the invalid addresses or valid. It, it really is if those people on your list are there for the right reasons, if they're engaging with the mail uh, positively, if they're not engaging negatively very often. So along those lines, like one of the biggest pitfalls I've seen is, using like growth hacks to build your list super quickly. So, you know, purchased and scraped lists should always be avoided because, you know, even if you're building your list, honestly, like those tend to have very high bounce rates, but more importantly, those people have never heard of your brand or if they've heard of your brand, they know they didn't sign up for your brand. So that's essentially the same as you sending a cold email to them, but you don't see it that way. You're like, well, I've got this list of people. And so you're, you're not focusing on that value You're not giving them a lot of value in that cold email. 
you're just kind of adding them to your business as usual type of newsletter. So avoid those those kind of like really sh- quick shortcuts to building your list. But but even if you're if you're building your list with permission, you know, like I, I would say, you know, sign up sources like a sweepstakes, for example, can lead to 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 a list where recipients just really don't care about the emails that you're sending, right? And this this is going to lead to to really low engagement, which can hurt your chances of hitting the inbox in the future. So, you know, imagine, you know, if, if you're a travel brand and you have a million dollar sweepstakes and or a trip to Italy or something, that's awesome. But if people aren't aware of the fact that you're going to then send them emails after the fact, you know, they don't care because they haven't won the, the free giveaway. And so then, you know, it's just dead weight on your list. So really just try to pair your list collection practices. I know it's painful and sometimes slow to build your list the right way with people who genuinely want to be there, but I guarantee it's just, it's going to lead to higher quality engagements and and, and just much more conversion for your brand. So I think that's one is just, there really is no such thing as a hack within email, especially within deliverability. You got to kind of come at at, at the right way. You know, it's (laughs) not a lot of shortcuts, unfortunately. So I think that's one big pitfall is assuming that you can kind of just very quickly just see success with very little effort from from your side and very little thought. A second pitfall that I see is kind of like, you know, blindly running your email program without kind of reviewing your stats regularly. And, you know, honestly, I get it because, you know, marketing people are busy. Oftentimes, email is just one of the things that they're doing in their day. Deliverability is something, it's an afterthought. It's sort of like, unless I know messages are going to the spam folder or getting blocked, I don't have time to think about this. And I definitely don't have time to learn about this. You know, but I think that's where, you know, you want to have just that basic high level understanding of kind of like what, what do my stats look like today? What do those trend lines look like? Am I trending up? Am I trending down? Are things kind of staying the same, which is is totally fine. Oftentimes I think that's when you don't, when you're not watching, that is where you're going to say, but oh my gosh, I had this deliverability issue come out of nowhere and you're going to be blindsided by it. But really it's something that probably has been kind of bubbling under the surface for quite a while and it's getting worse and it's getting worse. And the longer you wait, bigger changes you need to make to kind of fix that. So I think it's just, just have that basic understanding. And if you don't understand the stuff yourself, we are in this awesome industry where there are people who are willing to jump on a call with you quickly. We've got the email geek Slack where you can ask questions to, you know, I I don't even know how many more than 10,000 people in that group Mm -hmm. at this point. Build your own network, read a bunch of blogs. There's so much information that's out there to give you just a basic understanding of kind of what's happening. So don't just run around blindly, please. And then I think the, the last one is is sort of just assuming that that what worked yesterday is going to continue to work today and tomorrow. You know, deliverability, I would even say like recipient engagement and recipient expectations with email industry as a whole. None of these are static things. They're all changing and evolving all the time. And, and so I think, you know, you really need to be watching your data, as I, as I mentioned before, uh, following the industry trends to, to kind of ensure that you're continuing to hit the inbox, you know. I would say, you know, a good example of this is is that recipient engagement has become a much bigger deal over the past several years because anti-spam filters are just, you know, they're getting more sophisticated. They're getting better at at looking at recipients at the recipient level as opposed to just saying, well, you sent to 100 people and 10 of them marked spam. And so that's too high, right? It's that stuff is still there. Those basic metrics still matter, you know, but, but you really need to kind of focus on continuing to have success, continuing to watch your progress and testing things, right? Testing to see if you can even do better because there's always room for optimization. It really, deliverability is not just an off and on switch. I like to think of it more as kind of like the the dashboard of a plane where there's just lots of different little dials and things that you can kind of tweak to to fly better. So it it really is that. So I think it's just, you know, just keep, know that you're going to have to keep improving. You can't just kind of just stick with what works and and go with that for the next couple of years. It's probably not going to continue to work for long. 
Right. I was wondering on, you know, it's really talking from, from a client perspective, you know, they get a lead from, through some kind of offer, but then they right. see like that guy didn't even open the email and they haven't opened any emails in the last mm -hmm. six cents. Is it a good time to cut them off? Like just say, okay, this guy is not really a subscriber. It, it really depends on what your, you know, again, not to say what your goal of email is, but kind of what are, what are your challenges? Because, you know, I, I actually was just having a conversation with this, this really smart guy named Deliquist. If you have not heard of him, he is um, the, the founder of a company called Alchemy Works. And his whole thing is, you know, keep sending to recipients, send to them more and more often. And the more often you send to them, you know, the more value you're going to get out of those subscribers, even if they're not opening and clicking he did some research that kind of showed that, you know, it was like, if, if a recipient's not even on our list, let's say they make $117 off of that person, the lifetime value of that person. If you send them emails, even if they've never, ever opened or clicked, he was saying that the value for, for a specific client was up to like $400. Okay. So almost more than double. If you have a recipient who is on your list and is engaging with your emails, that value tends to be around $700. So there is kind of like this different... Like obviously the people that are engaging with your email are the most valuable, but even if to my point as well, right? Like I have retail brands that I don't shop at very often, haven't opened an email from them in a year, but if I go shop with their brand next week, you better believe I'm going to go check the emails and see if I've got a discount code. And, and even just seeing that from address in my inbox keeps them at the top of, of my mind and kind of just helps, right? Imagine, you know, the, the same like with a, you know, a billboard, if you're driving on the road and you kind of see a sign for a certain brand it's a passive thing. You're not really thinking about it, but yet it's there. You saw it, you remember that brand. So I think that's, if you're not facing deliverability issues, you should definitely just kind of keep sending to people as often as you can, but you have to figure out that frequency uh, because if you've got an active segment where there's people who are opening every single daily email that you send, they should have a different frequency, a different kind of tactic that you're, you're approaching them with than somebody who opens once a year or never, right? Those people maybe don't need to hear from you every single day. They can hear from you weekly. And that's where like, you know, the mailbox providers like Gmail, Hotmail, these guys, they're looking at those stats and they're trying to figure out, is your mail wanted by a lot of our users or, or not? And one of the signals, you know, a lot of the signals they're looking at are engagement. Are you opening, clicking? Are you moving messages to folders? Are you complaining about them? Are you deleting them without opening or letting it sink further into your inbox? So things that we can't always see on the marketer side but they matter. And so I think it's, it's, it's nailing that mix of I'm contacting as many people as often as possible, but I'm also not doing it in a way that, that the mailbox providers are now damaging my reputation and sending messages to the spam folder. So I think that's, again, look at your stats, be monitoring that, and then, you know, being as aggressive as you can without kind of upsetting the apple cart, if you will. Okay. I was wondering, do ESPs track how long an email is open? Like, does that um, play into anything? It's hard to say. Um, mailbox providers don't really kind of tell us what what metrics specifically mm -hmm. they are, are always monitoring. I would say there definitely are ones who probably are looking at that kind of thing. But I, I honestly, I don't have any insight into that. I know oftentimes on the marketer side, we're using pixels and, and other kind of tools like that within the email to track the read rate or, or how long someone's been hovering over a certain spot or, or that heat map kind of thing, right? So I, I would imagine they do have some sort of visibility into it. It's just, it's going to look different than what we do, but they've probably got some signal that is sort of tied to, to that kind of behavior. Okay. A-B testing tips or recommendations? Okay. I would say, well, I mean, obviously A-B tests are, are a great thing for, for everybody to be doing. I think especially if you have sort of like a static list, let's say if you do have like a newsletter that you send on a regular basis to a consistent audience, I would say that's a great place to be doing A-B testing, but honestly, any kind of test is great. 
Um, and really, you know, I, I think A-B tests are wonderful for subject lines um, because it really does help you figure out what's going to resonate best with your audience, what's going to get them to that next step, right? Because again, it's, did it go to the inbox? Did they open it? Then did they click? Then did they convert? So it's all of these things. The subject line is, is very much important to that. I would say also be testing like your from addresses. I've seen some within my inbox that are just very clear. Like imagine if, um, you know, like Walmart or Target or one of those big brands, that's a very recognizable from address. Other people kind of go with ones where they're trying to be more more personal. So it's, you know, it's maybe like Ali from you know, the pet store. I don't know, whatever, whatever brand it is. And so you just have to consider, are people going to recognize that? Is that going to make them be, you know, have a connection to your brand? Or are they going to be like, who is Ali? I keep getting messages from this person. Mm-hmm. I don't know any Ali. Who is this? Right. So I think it's, you, you kind of have to follow the data points, but subject line testing is, is really a great way to, to kind of do that. So I think it's when you're doing your testing, just be very deliberate in the sense that you don't want to be testing, you know, there, there is such thing as AX testing where you can test multiple variants at, at a certain mm-hmm. time, but you want to make sure that your test is basic enough that you can know what it was that drove the difference, right? Because if you're like, oh, we, we did a different from name and a different subject line and a different call to action, which <laughs> right. one actually the thing that, that moved the needle on your performance, right? You don't really know. And so then you're, you're kind of stuck with, okay, well, now what do we do with that information? So being clear and very thoughtful with how you, you do your testing is helpful, but also make sure you have, you know, big enough sample sizes to be meaningful. You know, don't just run it off of, I'm sending to 10 people and seem like six people like this line and four like that. That's not really, that's like sort of an anecdotal evidence, right? So I think it really is just making sure that you've got, yeah, the proper kind of volume to be testing. And, and that's okay. If you have a small list, it doesn't mean you can't do A-B testing. It just means you might need to run that test multiple times or over time and let it kind of run for a bit longer to sort of see what that success is going to look like. All right. Thanks for that. Do you have any favorite brands? Favorite brands? I mean, I, honestly, I get a, I get so much email and honestly, I, I feel like I, I more just get cranky about a lot of it. So, um, but really the one brand that, I, that I've personally been loving, and maybe this is just because I have been busy, is Morning Brew. And so if you're not familiar with, with their newsletter, it essentially is just sort of like a, a daily rundown of all of the things that are sort of happening in the news. They've got, you know, a, a part of the top that kind of focuses on like stock tickers and what's happening there. But they don't just say, hey, here's some links to different articles. They give you like a little summary, a little like a synopsis of their own of kind of like what's going on with that specific topic, as well as link you to, to very good resources about it. There's usually something that's really fun in there. Um, when they do, you know, partner marketing or partner advertising within those different campaigns, it's very well done. It fits in like the, the advertisers that they choose seem to fit very well in with like the, the audience that they're having. So it just, it doesn't feel super salesy. They, yeah. And, and then they, you know, they refer, they've got a great referral program where they're incentivizing people with, you know, with the swag, if they, they invite other people to sign up, things like that. Um, it's just, you know, so, so honestly, they have, they have grown their list size to one and a half million people in a, in less than five years. And, and I think they were actually just acquired uh, this year as well. So they're, they're really doing well. But I think for mm-hmm. me, the reason I like it so much is it's, it doesn't just make my life easier because I can quickly kind of catch up on the news and the things that I maybe might have missed. But, you know, it's, it's also funny, like there's personality to it. So it's just, it enriches my life every single day. I know it's going to be in my inbox. And if it's not there, even if I don't read it every single day, I know it's going to be there and I know I can rely on it. And every single time I know I'm going to get some kind of value out of that. So I think that's 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 really the, the go-to newsletter that I've been really digging recently. That's really cool. I mean, just as in, you know, like, like good for them, like taking such a simple idea, like let's right. build an email that people read every day. It's yeah. like a morning newspaper kind of thing. 
I'm drinking over coffee. I'll call it morning brew. And yeah, and, right. yeah look at that. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's amazing how often, you know, even before I signed up, because I, you know, I'm like, oh, I get so many emails. I don't need another one. Um, my coworker in my last role used to kind of forward articles from morning brew to me at least, you know, once every couple of weeks, like, Hey, I, I saw this one and I thought mm-hmm. of you because, you know, it's something you know, you've got kids or whatever. And so it's, it starts conversations. It makes you kind of just more knowledgeable about what's going on in the world. But it, yeah, it, it just really adds in my definition, you know, I love to say, you know, provide value to your subscribers in whatever way you can and whatever that means based on your business. But yeah, they really have kind of nailed that in, in my perspective. That's, yeah, that's really cool. What opportunities do you think marketers are missing out on when it comes to email? Um, well, I mean, I feel like there are, you know, some email marketers who are, are kind of coming into our industry, into the email industry from other industries. So, you know, for example, maybe like direct marketing, and they're kind of just trying to like, apply whatever worked within that industry or that field to email, just to, you know, fitting that that square peg into a round hole, if you will, right? Um, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's the same way that, that, you, that you would probably adjust your messaging on social platforms, right? Like the, the message that you put on LinkedIn probably looks different than what you're doing on Facebook or on Twitter, which is very much short form. So you want to adjust your strategy to really focus on kind of what, what works with email specifically and kind of how you can get that to work in. Um, I think there's there's other marketers that are kind of, they're, they're just juggling so many different tasks and responsibilities. And, and they, they really just don't have that time to understand the nuances of email and the fact that it really is hard, right? There's a lot to learn. There's, you know, there's deliverability, which is just the ultimate, you know, kind of black box, big question mark, what, what's going on, gray area all over the place. You got to think about the strategy, the coding, the design, authentication pieces, and like the technical bits of like infrastructure, you know, all of it matters when it comes to hitting the inbox. It's like this ultimate equation. And so I think, you know, by taking the time to understand that all of those various factors do impact the overall success of your program is important. It doesn't mean you have to be a subject matter expert in all of it. Hopefully you've got a small team or you have people that can kind of help you with that. But Really, you know, being equipped to kind of to, to sort of take that holistic approach is something that a lot of email marketers are, are not currently doing. They're kind of just like they're very focused on one metric or one project, or they're kind of just not to say getting to be tone deaf with their recipients, but they're just it's become just this thing that, that you just kind of keep doing. Get out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think just taking that step back to kind of have that emotional intelligence of like, look, I'm sending emails to humans, humans that have. <laughs> have other things going on in their day. And so I need to really provide value and, and find a way to connect with them. And that's so hard when you're sending to, you know, tens or hundreds of, or thousands or millions of people. Uh, but I think that's where you really need to kind of take that holistic approach and, and figure out the bigger way to, to do it. And, and really, you know, understand how email marketing can work with other marketing channels to, to provide that full experience, right? Like email marketing should never be kind of used within a vacuum. It does have other touch points, right? You know, if you're doing TV commercials, if you've got billboards, if you're doing, I don't know, whatever you're doing, you know, your brand, it's not just an email. It, it's so much more than that. So I think that's the, the marketers that kind of miss that aspect, you know, tend to just get stuck in, in the small day-to-day stuff and kind of don't get the bigger picture of kind of what's going on with email. Okay. Taking a macro look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Going back to durability. What do you think, you know, the big misconceptions are about durability? Oh my gosh. Do we have, how much time do we have? Because I think we can go for about 40 minutes. So like, yeah, yeah, go I've gotten the record so far is an hour and 15 minutes, but you know, okay. we don't have to make a new record, but if you okay. want to, we can. Right. Well, I'm just joking anyway, but um, yeah, and honestly, there, there are, are so many misconceptions. There's, there's just kind of a lot of misinformation that goes around in our industry. And I think there's reasons for it. There's a lot of reasons for it. You know, it's sometimes it's just, you know, you, you're tasking 
your brand new marketing manager who's who's not really been in email before. It's her first job out of college with, hey, you're going to go write a blog post about this topic with email. So those people maybe are Googling other articles and, and kind of trying to write without being that subject matter expert. So I think sometimes it comes from that. Other times it could just come from, you know, a vendor's goals. Maybe they're trying to kind of push a specific product. And so they've kind of come up with a best practice that's sort of, you know, circling around whatever offering they have mm-hmm. or, or something like that. So it really, you know, there's a lot. And then honestly, sometimes it's just people are saying things that they think make sense, but they're not backed by data. You know, so imagine if, um, you know, when Google Tabs was introduced many, many years ago, I think back in 2015, oh, yeah. you know, everybody freaked out because they were like, oh my gosh, now my promotional mm-hmm. mail is stuck in with all these other promotional things I wanted to be in with grandma <laughs> and, and your sister's emails, you know, but when you actually, when people did studies, they found a lot of information to su- support the fact that you actually have higher conversion rates when you're in the promotions tab than mm-hmm. because people have higher intent to purchase something. They're in the, the right mind frame to kind of receive promotional messages and kind of be pitched to, if you will. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, the data, the fact that people don't have access to data, I think is a big one. <laughs> this. But I'll just kind of run through a couple. And honestly, my company actually is about to release a blog post tomorrow with 21 different email misconceptions. And I've spent a lot oh, wow. of time kind of trying to figure out which ones to do. So Go to kickbox.com tomorrow and check that out because I think there'll be more. But um, from a high level, I'll say, one, email is not dead. In fact, it's it's very much alive and doing very, very well and has a great return on investment compared to other digital channels. I just mentioned that the the fact that, you know, landing in the the Gmail promotions tab is is not a bad thing. In fact, it tends to be a good thing for deliverability as well as for your conversion rates. Um, You're not a spam folder if you're in the promotions box. Exactly. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Other ones I would, you know, like changing... There's this common misconception that if you damage your IP reputation, basically just replace your IP or maybe switch to a different ESP and that's going to solve your issue. That doesn't work anymore because now mailbox providers have really moved beyond just looking at the IP reputation. Now they're looking at domain reputation and tens or hundreds of different signals that are related to all of the internet activity that you're doing within your email purview. So it's it's a lot harder, if you will, to kind of you know, sort of outrun your your bad history, right? Like if, you, if you're that new kid mm-hmm. and you move to a new school because you got suspended from your last school, you have a fresh start. And if you take that chance and really improve your reputation and you become a better email sender, awesome, you're going to have a success, right? But if you just move to that new school and then go back to starting food fights and getting in trouble and being late for class, you're going to get expelled all over again, right? You're going to see the same pattern repeat. Mm-hmm you know, it might take a little bit longer. So I think that's stop trying to outrun your issues. Just embrace the fact that you really need to, to kind of just own your reputation and be, be doing the right things and, and doing right by your subscribers. I think that's, that's the bigger picture. Along the, the, the lines of, of spammy content, I'll just kind of say simple things like just including the word free or something else that's kind of been claimed as like a spammy word is not going to ultimately send you <laughs> It is. Right. It's part of it. There are certain things. I think there is a provider, maybe it was web.de or someone, they actually filter messages to the spam folder because an emoji is in that subject line, right? So something very basic and you're like, oh man, wow. So know that about that destination if you send a lot of mail to them. But really, there are so many factors to deliverability that, you know, if your center right. is fantastic, if your audience loves your content, if you actually are giving away something that's free, Use free. You can use all caps, five emojis. Doesn't matter. Your beloved brand. Exactly. As long as your email audience likes it and mailbox providers can see that within the interactions that they're having, that's really what's going to help you. So, yeah, spammy words, 
yes, they have their place, but they are a much smaller part. It really is more about the reaction that your recipients have to those words as opposed to just the actual words themselves. So um, yeah, so those are the big ones. I would say just to, to end here, note that inbox placement cannot be guaranteed. Anybody who claims it is <laughs> not the case. I mean, I, I know every ESP wants to say, hey, we've got a, a deliverability rate that tends to be 95 or higher or 99%. That's awesome. That is just an estimate. You know, if, if a list verification company is telling you they can clean up your list and remove invalids and then all of a sudden magically get that to the inbox, it's not nearly that simple. I wish it was. Inbox placement really is something you have to earn and continue to earn and continue to keep that that trust that the mailbox providers have with you. So yeah, right. please focus on your on your data and, and be a good email citizen, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> can can email criminals uh, like reform? Like if you messed up your, you have a horrible IP reputation, you've been doing everything terribly, but now you like really want to create a real company and really do things the right way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you really can? You absolutely can. Yeah, and that's, it's one of those, you know, IP reputations, sender reputations can absolutely be turned around just like your own personal brand reputation, right? Like you could have been a total jerk when you were a kid, but if you become a nice person and you start treating people well, that reputation kind of changes, right? And then people see you in a different light. And so, you know, if you've done something very small, right? Like let's say if you have a pretty good sender reputation and you kind of, you know, you purchase a list and you have some bad data and you generate a bunch of complaints and high bounce rates and things, that's sort of like a one-time offense. If you go back to being a good sender, you're gonna write the ship and eventually mailbox providers will kind of forgive you, right? Pretty short term, but the more bad instances you have, the more bad history you have racking up, the deeper you're kind of digging yourself into that hole, the longer it's gonna to take to get out of it. And so that's where in certain cases, I would say, if you have really ruined your domain reputation, your IP reputation, your, I, your ESP is now rate limiting you and, and offering, or I guess threatening to suspend you, perhaps it's time to move on to a new location and have a fresh start. <laughs> but but the, the key is when you make that fresh start, you really need to, to start with the basics and build up the right way the next time. Learn your lesson. Don't just unplug from here and plug in somewhere else with that same bad practice because it's, it's not gonna work. All right, I think that's it. You know, I mean, unless you wanna keep going. Yeah, I think we've covered this one, so I don't think we need to do this one anymore. But I oh. think just I think at this point we can just say thank you so much for coming. Of course, yeah. we've, we've we've learned a lot. We went through a lot of stuff, and it's been really great. So thank you for coming. Good luck at Kickbox, and everyone can check them out at kickbox.com. And um, yeah, and we'll you know maybe we'll have you back at some point, but maybe not. But either way, <laughs> Sounds yeah, good. good luck on the rest of the road. Yeah. You too. Yeah, thanks for having All me right. on the Absolutely. And that's our show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in to Inbox. Uh, this has been episode four. We'll see you next week. Bye.